the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider. I'm on the Historical Commission for the Cause of Canonization of Servant of God Joseph Dutton. He worked for 44 years on Molokai with Saints Damien and Marianne, caring for the victims of leprosy. When such a commission closes its work, a meeting must be held in the Diocese of the Cause for Canonization with all members present. This is required by the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints in Rome, to which we will send our report. I will thus be in the Diocese of Honolulu and away for two weekends, at which time my colleagues in Alabama are preparing a best of for Vatican Insider. Well, I just want to welcome my listeners to a very unusual edition of Vatican Insider. I am at the Ala Moana Hotel, that's in Honolulu, folks, and I'm here for both a pleasure and a work meeting. I am here with 499 other people to talk about, learn about Joseph Dutton. He worked for 44 years with St. Damien and St. Marianne Cope on Molokai, Kalopapa specifically, with the victims of leprosy. And one of the experts in that field is sitting right next to me. Hopefully we'll not get too many outside sounds. But that's Father John Paul Kimes. He's a canon lawyer. He's at the University of Notre Dame, and I'm going to let Father tell you more about himself and how he got to know Joseph Dutton. Oh, Joan, as always, you're too kind. I don't think I'm much of an expert on Joseph Dutton. I'm just beginning to come to know him uh, like you are, like everyone here, for this uh, wonderful event, this uh, gala event, uh, to kick off the cause of canonization for Joseph Dutton. Uh, me, I, I'm a canon lawyer. I teach in the law school at the University of Notre Dame, so I have a great pleasure of taking 11 years of experience um, if using canon law in the Vatican in service to the church, now being able to teach the students at the University of Notre Dame. But yeah, so I, I, was, uh, I had the opportunity, starting in 2009, to work at what was then called the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. We now know that Pope Francis has changed, reorganized the Curie a little bit, and everything's called a dicastery, so it's now the dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. But I worked in what's known as the discipline section, so we were a small group of canon lawyers that were charged with dealing with what the church considers to be the most serious serious crimes, and primarily uh, we worked in the field of so the sexual abuse of minors. So, sure. so all of that uh, fortunately has nothing to do with why we're here in Honolulu. Enjoy. Thank the Lord. Thank it's a the Lord. occasion. It is, right. a, it is a beautiful occasion. Uh, we get to help in our work. We're both members of the Historical Commission, which is charged with searching archives uh, anywhere in the world that have to deal with the candidate for canonization, uh, in this case, Joseph Dutton. And Joan, you can probably speak to that work uh, more eloquently than I can. Well, the four of us who are on the Historical Commission, and by the way, folks, this is an official body in a cause for canonization and beatification and canonization. So our names will be on official records in the Vatican, in the Diocese of Honolulu, because in general, a cause for canonization starts in the Diocese of, of that person. And I think what unites us in our joy about Joseph Dutton is the fact that he is a layman. Yeah. 
because John Paul said years ago, you probably know this, your name for John Paul, he said years ago to the Congregation for Saints, please look for lay people. I know there are saintly lay people. There are saintly married uh, couples. And John Paul said, you know, people think to be a saint, you either have to found a religious order or be a martyr. And of course, that's not true. So we're looking at this marvelous Joseph yeah. Dutton. But tell our listeners how Notre Dame figures into this. Yeah, so Joseph Dutton's life is fascinating. So just to give you a little bit of historical context, especially for the listeners, um, Joseph Dutton serves in the U.S. Civil War. So just to give you an idea of when he lives, so he serves in, in through the entirety of the Civil War. So 1861 through 1864, he serves in a group out of Wisconsin. He becomes a quartermaster. And in the years after the war, he works for different railroad companies. He goes back and works for the U.S. Army. He gets married. He gets divorced, which is not something that we normally associate with sainthood, but he gets married and then uh, divorced and Dutton himself talks about living this decade of debauchery, he calls it in his own letters, where he essentially starts drinking too much and living a life that he himself thought was inconsistent with the way that he had been brought up. Because he was born a Christian. I yeah, mean, he, he was. was he, so right. we, we, the best we know, he was raised in the uh, raised an Episcopalian. Right. And so he was born with Christian values and he, he was instilled very strong uh, relationship with his mother, who, again, also with right. his father, but primarily with his mother and this understanding of the need for moral rectitude of some kind. Right. Uh, and so he, he saw in this life after the war, you know, that again, he gets married, he gets divorced, the marriage fails, he gets divorced, and he starts drinking very heavily. So he, he comes to a recognition that this isn't the life that he's called to lead. And he begins simultaneously the search for the true church. And in the Episcopalian church at the time, it was very popular the theory of branches, that Christianity shared a common trunk, if you will, but that there were right. different branches and that each of these branches were all equal because they were rooted in the same trunk. And Joseph, again, is friendly with Episcopalian bishops in the South in the U.S. and, and meets priests, particularly in Memphis. But as he studies more about this theory of the branches, which was popular at the time, he becomes very unsatisfied with it. And he begins to seek the true church, the one church, he tells us in his, in his letters. And he finds that in the Catholic faith. And he finds it with the help of a Dominican priest living in Memphis, Tennessee at the time, and in the Church of St. Peter's in Memphis. At the age of 40, he converts to Catholicism and is brought into the Catholic Church at the age of 40. And this, for Joseph Dutton, is a radical, it's sort of a, it, it marks a completely new point in his life. He leaves behind his decade of debauchery and all of his jobs working for the railroad and working for the army and then the quartermasters. He leaves all of that behind and he becomes focused on the need to do penance. Penance. And it's all about penance for him. It's just, it's beautiful to read in his letters. And, and I keep referring to his letters. And as, as Joe knows, he wrote hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands, thousands, thousands yes. of letters to people from all over the U.S. with whom he maintained correspondence. And all over the world. All over the world. And he, and he does that because he, he comes to a recognition that sin has this hold on his life that needs to be broken if he's going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Right. And for him, he understands that in his need to do penance. And he is a determined man. 
constantly throughout his life. He has this again going back to the values instilled to him oh, yeah. as, as a young as a young man. And constantly in his writings, he speaks about his almost obsession with thoroughness. So that if he begins something, he wants to do it as well as it can possibly be done. So when he comes to the understanding that he needs to do penance. As you know, he spends the next 44 years of his right, life, right. 46 years of his life, actually, doing penance. The exactly. first two years, he travels to Gethsemane in Kentucky and, and moves, moves yeah. into the Trappist monastery and lives the Trappist life, which, for those that are unfamiliar, the Trappist form of, mon- of monasticism is one of the most severe, one of the most stark, oh, one sure. of the most rigid, uh, rigid in its simplicity, but up in the morning Demanding, at 4 a.m. Yeah. and you're, you're, it's just this constant demand of prayer and work and and, and and Joseph found in this a richness, but he didn't think that's what he was called to do. And he has this great line in one of his letters. And he said, if I wasn't called to do penance in solitude, then I was called to do it with the multitude. Wow. It's this beautiful insight that he has. And again, his entire life from his, bapti- from his reception of the Catholic Church at the age of 40 to his dying breath is just an ode to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just this For it's sure. it's just this this understanding that his life changes dramatically and it's the power of the Holy Spirit that leads him to conversion that leads him into this conviction that he should spend the rest of his life doing penance and so he first goes to a monastic life and he says okay this is where I'm going to do penance and then he does that for 2 years and says eh, not for me not really this isn't really what God is calling me to and he still thought he was called to a religious life, so he goes to the Redemptress. He runs into the Redemptress, and the Redemptress Provincial, and this is, again, where you see God's providence. You genuinely see God's providence. It's a, it's, it's a story you couldn't make up. It's so wild. You couldn't make up what's about to happen in Joseph Dutton's life. He meets the Redemptress Provincial, who says, you know what, I'm going to New Orleans for a conference. Why don't you come down to New Orleans with me? And you would think, well, who's not going to go to New Orleans? It's like us out here in Honolulu. Sure. Who doesn't want to do that? So he goes down to New Orleans with this Provincial of the Redemptress, and he's sitting in a waiting room, and he sees this Catholic magazine, and he starts flipping through this Catholic magazine, and in there, and you know this as a writer, as a journalist, I mean, they're all, in, in any publication, they're all these little, almost throwaway pieces. It's not the yeah, main right. body of the magazine, it's just like a little Let's side article. Space. Yeah, fill <laughs> the space, because we got some extra pages. And he sees this uh, filler article that briefly mentions this priest named Damien on this island called Molokai, and Kaulapapa, way who's just way out, out in the, out the, in the middle of yeah. Pacific, in the middle of nowhere, genuinely the middle of nowhere, working with lepers you know there's no clue that he knew what leprosy was before right. this there's certainly no thought in his mind that he knew where Kaulapapa or even Hawaii sure. was at the time he sees this article and knows immediately that's what God is calling him to do and so he starts trying to find out anything he can about Damien, about Kaulapapa, about leprosy, about any of it. And it just so happens, this is where Notre Dame comes in, it just so happens there's a history professor at Notre Dame that has been out to Molokai, that has studied what Damien is doing, and he's the one who starts in the U.S. letting, you know, letting be known in Catholic circles what's going on out in Molokai. So Joseph Dutton gets on a steamer, he goes up the Mississippi River, takes a train to South Bend, and meets this history professor, and tells him every Everything that, that he needs to know about Molokai, about Damien, about leprosy, about all of it, and he meets a priest. 
as well. He meets a Holy Cross priest who, in talking with Joseph in a spiritual way, convinces him that even the trip there should be a pilgrimage. That if wow. it's genuinely about about right. about penance, which is what Joseph is all about, then it needs to be a pilgrimage. So he gets on in the steerage class of a train. He goes out to San Francisco, gets on the worst possible vessel in the worst possible class he can. And the amazing thing is he doesn't tell anybody what he's doing at the time. Shows up in Honolulu, knocks on the door of the cathedral, and asks to see the bishop. The bishop sees him the next morning, and two days later, he's on Molokai, and he meets Father Damien completely unannounced. Father Damien recognizes immediately the, the hand of God. And even before then, when he first gets permission, because again, this is a, it's a medical facility. I mean, we, we, we sure. you know, this, this, this is, it's under the, the protection of, of Hawaii. The kingdom. And it's the, king, yeah. the kingdom of Hawaii at the time. And so the, the, the minister of health has to give Joseph permission to go there. And the minister of health offers to pay him. He's like, look, you know, this is a, this is a government yeah, facility. Wow. We need people out there. And Joseph says, absolutely not. I do not want a salary. And the minister's like, oh, well, if you ever change your mind, Joseph's like, look, no, I'm here to do penance and to serve. I don't want a salary. And he repeats this over and over in his letters that he writes beautifully, uh, something that a lot of us can appreciate today. He says, look, I settled all of my debts. I worked hard to settle my debts, but I'm square, he says. I have paid all of my debts, and I don't want to take money because taking money will mean that I'm not doing penance. And this part of my life, I wow. have to do penance. It's fun. It's a, it's a phenomenal story. He was a doctor of the church and one of the greatest defenders of icons in Christian history. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. When iconoclasts began destroying icons in the Byzantine Empire in the 8th century, St. John Damascene wrote three treaties defending them, a position affirmed. 787 at the Second Council of Nicaea. John was declared a doctor of the church in 1890. His feast day is December 4th. To find out more about the doctors of the church, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. Proclaiming the faith, changing lives. The year was 2015. EWTN opens its West Coast studio on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Orange, California, enabling EWTN to produce new programming that will bring the people and the stories of the faith that make up the church in Southern California to our global audience. To learn more about Mother Angelica's life and the history of EWTN, visit EWTN.com slash Mother Angelica. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Father John Paul Kimes. We forgot to mention, I mean, he was born and he was known as Ira, Ira Barnes, Ira Barnes and, and But he explains, you know, there was a certain point in his life when it wasn't Ira anymore, it was Joseph. That was the name he took yeah, and he became and, a Catholic. Exactly, and it, and it happens in the Church of St. Peter when he's brought into the Catholic Church from there on out. He's Joseph. And even when he gets confirmed and they give him a confirmation name Maria, he never uses that. And then he becomes a third order Franciscan and they give him the name Francis and he doesn't use that either. He identifies himself entirely with the name that he took when he came into the Catholic Church. The Joseph then became how he was known and Father Damien called him Brother Joseph. And he said, because you're like a brother to everyone. The thing to be stressed we don't want any misunderstanding because 
Joseph Dutton was not a religious brother. Right. He's not a he's not a religious. He he may have taken some kind of private vows. We're not really sure. Um, again, sources are kind of uh, hit or miss on this. But we know he never enters a religious community. He doesn't, you know, any, I mean, he, he explores the Trappist, he explores sure. other things, but he doesn't take religious vows. No. Which, again, he becomes this, for today's society, he's this incredible model of the holiness of the laity. As you were mentioning earlier, I mean, this is the kind of holiness and sanctity and penance that he understands you know, that his life is called to through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the perfect model right. for, for today. Exactly. No, he's so contemporary in so, yeah. in so many ways. Because he has, you know, you shared this insight with me earlier. I don't mean to speak out of school, but, you know, what we would call today PTSD. He has post-traumatic stress that, disorder that, from the and war you and, and, and the drinking. Doing, you and, and yeah. I who are doing research on him... You at Notre Dame, obviously, so that's why, folks, we explained the relationship with Notre Dame, all the documents that are there. I, working in Rome at the office of the, uh, the archival office of the order that Father Damien belonged to. And so all of these documents, being members of the historical commission is a very important thing because it's basically what we find in our research, what we photocopy and scan and everything else that has been written by or about these people that will go to become part of the record in the Diocese of Honolulu. And when all the Vatican-specific steps are fulfilled, this goes to Rome. Yeah. So if Rome's going to discover who Dutton is, it's going to be because of the work we did on the commission. And that's why our, you know, again, it's one of those parts that nobody would imagine in the cause of canonization, just how much work there is uh, to all of it. And and again, because we're dealing with someone who passed away in 1931, we have to... Nobody's around to talk to, so we have to find those documents. uh, And then, you know, our job as the historical commission is to sift through all of those documents to be able to provide an accurate historical record so that when the case goes to Rome, they have all of the information they need to make all of the determinations that will then be necessary in the cause of canonization. Well, interestingly enough, Monsignor Sarno, who worked for 38 years in Rome, and I've known him all of those years, um, at the congregation for the causes of saints, as he said um, in his remarks today, he said, this is to prove or disprove a cause for Ken, because you've got to have, don't call it the devil's advocate, but you've got to have people out there who say or wrote or in this case they didn't know him um well wait a minute you know but what we're seeing we're seeing the wait a minute listen to this the good stuff yeah and and it's and it's true too and we have to be we have to be honest with ourselves nobody's perfect being holy doesn't mean you're perfect so it's very much the case that Joseph well, or anyone. Yeah. Gary, when he got up to, to you know, to, to give grace and everything today, he said, none of us are born saints. Yeah, but the powerful message in all of this is that every saint has a past as a sinner. And it's the same for, for us. It's the same we for, have the for you and We have the future of a saint. We have the future of a saint. We have, we have, the, we have yeah. this, we share the same past, yeah. which means that we can share the same future when we come to learn the lessons that they learned. And what Joseph learns and what I think Joseph teaches more profoundly and in a way that is uncannily contemporary. He teaches the need for the understanding of the power of sin in our lives and the call of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to convert and to live our lives 
as Joseph said over and over again in service. Again, when we talk about his fascination with penance, he's not sitting over in the corner, you know, beating himself up for his sins. He's putting the gospel to work. He's using his hands, his heart, his by every in every fiber of his being. He's using in service to those most in need, and that for him is penance. And Joseph demonstrates that beautifully. Now he does so with a rich life of prayer. He's you know he's praying and I mean all yeah. of this, but it, but it's all part of a whole. It's not that he's praying and not working. It's not that he's beating himself up for having no. lived a bad life. In his prayer, in his interior life, he feels constantly the call of the Holy Spirit to serve. And in that, he sees the penance that he feels too. So it's beautiful because it's his unified vision of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I have to pray. I have to deepen my relationship with him. And, you know, as Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, that's how we become friends. And a saint is nothing other than a friend of Jesus Christ because it's someone that does his will. All of those letters that you and I are discovering in all of these different historical archives are the example of him reaching out in friendship, reaching out in love, reaching out as a disciple of Jesus Christ to others. To help his uh, fellow human beings. To help his fellow human beings. And not only to ask for money for the important work that they're doing. It's not just that. But there's a genuine friendship that he constructs through these thousands of letters that he writes. And when when we, you know, this is a point that I think bears focusing in on, bears repeating. This is a man who has to have every single sheet of paper fumigated every single envelope fumigated before it comes on the island every the expense right. of the ink the expense of the stamps all of these things right. everything that comes onto the island has to be has to be fumigated and then everything that leaves the island has to be disinfected and what's it going to do it's going to get on a little boat and it's going to go to Honolulu then it's going to get on a bigger boat and, and then Lord it's going to yeah. and you know is it going to end up in in LA is it going to end up in San Francisco and then it's going to get on a train it's not like us sitting down and sending a text message. This is a tremendous investment of time and energy and resources. But he does so because he understands the value of those relationships, which ultimately become friendships right. and are all about the common bond we share in Jesus Christ. It's a, He's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal story. Let me ask you, when you first began to discover Joseph Dutton and you were studying him a little bit and so forth, what most struck you about him? Wow. That's a tough question. I think what I keep coming back to is his dedication to building relationships. Because it's something that all too often in the spiritual life, we, even as Catholics, we forget that we're all in this together. Yeah. You know, as Monsignor Sarno mentioned uh, in his talk today, the communion of saints. Exactly. We forget sometimes, and, and we, you know, especially as Americans, we have to as confess As he said, that those who are in heaven, the saints, those who are in purgatory, and those of us who are here on earth aspiring. Yeah. You know. And But, you know, sometimes as Americans, we, we've, we've adopted a sort of quasi-Protestant mentality that it's all about Jesus and me. That it's just this, oh, you know, no way. and but that's where it starts. It starts in that relationship. But what what Christ tells us over and over again in the Gospels, and what the Catholic Church teaches again consistently throughout history, is the connectedness of all of us who were baptized into the name of Jesus. Which Christ. is why we use the word communion. So exactly, much. exactly. And Joseph Dutton understands that need for those relationships and the the work 
that it takes to cultivate those yeah. relationships, despite all of the difficulties that we just talked about with those letters, he cultivates those relationships and he understands that it helps him sure. follow Jesus and then that automatically helps others do the same. And that's, again, it's like it's a pebble amazing. that you yeah. put, throw on the surface yeah. of the water and it ripples out and touches others. But the beauty of it, and you think about it, this is a man who in the eight, late 1800s and the early 1900s is prophetically living the reality that Vatican II focuses on more than yeah. any pl- place in the history of the Catholic Church. And that is the universal call to holiness. To be holy means to be a friend of Jesus Christ, and that's what all of us are called to in baptism. And, and I he think, gets it. I, I think what, what we even want say to those listening to us now and who will listen to us in the future because we'll both be working on projects and writing about this. You too, all of you listening right now, I don't know your names, but you too have the same chance. And even Mother Teresa said it was just doing little things with great love, being part of that community. You can be a saint. You don't have to be martyred or eaten by a lion or anything else like that. Just everyday life. Just do every little thing for the love of God, the love of your neighbor. And and, and Joseph said the same thing. When when people would write to him and, the, and, and say, oh, you know, you've taken on this tremendous journey and it's this thing. And he, he would tell them, he said, you find your Molokai wherever you are. That's the, the part of your talk today that most remained with me. We have to find our Molokai. We, we are not all called to grand gestures. No. And Joseph never saw it as a grand gesture. He saw it as following the will of God. And he understood and shared with others that knowledge that we're called to serve where we are. And again, not only is he a layman, he's a layman that understands that it's not about doing something dramatic. It's not about notoriety. For him, it wasn't even about no. taking a salary that he could have been oh, yeah. paid that would have come from the state of the kingdom of, of Hawaii. So it wouldn't have technically cost anybody anything. It wouldn't yeah. have taken money out. Of, it wouldn't have taken money away from the service he was trying to. It wasn't about any of that. It was about serving because that was that's what God had called him to. And he had that particular vocation to come out here to the kingdom of Hawaii and to work with, with Damien and to work with St. Mary and Cope and to work, you know, working with the lepers who were just ostracized, the poorest of the poor, outcasts right. of society. And they gave, the, all three of them, gave their lives in service to these people. And, and think of what you and I are doing now in a very, very different way. But I think we're going to be inspired even more yeah. than, than we are by this by this saintly life. We're looking at, did this man live heroic virtues and so forth? And um, I, I think we've even inspired each other. Yeah. I understood that in a meeting we had this morning. I think we've inspired each other by what we've learned, by our enthusiasm. It's just become contagious. Yeah, absolutely. And let me thank you so much for your time now. And may the Lord continue to inspire you and me in our work on the Historical Commission. Well, I'm I'm blessed to be a part of the Historical Commission, and I count myself even more blessed to be able to work with you together. And as you said, the more we know about this man, the more contagious his holiness is, the more excited we get, and the more I hope we continue to share with others, because we have another model to, to follow for holiness. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.